Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Edge of Sports podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. Our guest this week with one gesture seized the 2016 Olympic spotlight and educated the world. Ethiopian runner Feisa Lilesa won silver in the marathon. And when he crossed the finish line, he threw his arms up in an X. He then did it again on the podium and for the press. The X seen around the world is a symbol of defiance that demonstrators in Ethiopia perform at great personal risk. It's a statement of solidarity with the masses of Oromo people who are currently being displaced from their homes and farms in order to expand Ethiopia's capital city of Addis Ababa into Oromia. Beginning just last December, the powers that be have, from behind the barrel of a gun, uprooted thousands of Oromo and Amhara people who have cultivated this land for generations. The result is that people are responding with the most widespread acts of resistance in decades, and they have been met with a brutal crackdown. According to Human Rights Watch, 400 people have been killed, thousands arrested, and countless others have been disappeared. The government is insisting that if Feisa Lilesa returns home, both he and his family will be safe. But Lilesa is not sure, saying, if I go back to Ethiopia, the government will kill me. Today we talk to Olympic silver medalist and freedom fighter, Feisa Lilesa. Translation of Feisa's words will be done by journalist Mohamed Ademo. Feisa Lilesa, how are you doing today? Feisa Lilesa, I'm I'm doing great. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. So my, my first question is, um, why did you decide to make that X gesture at the Olympics? I decided to make that gesture because my people were getting killed and getting imprisoned back in Ethiopia. My people were saying we've had enough of the killings and the imprisonment and being forced into exile. And they were asking for justice and equality and freedom. And I wanted to make sure that the international community got that message. Mm. When did you decide that you were going to do that gesture? Was it during training? Was it during the race? And what was it that pushed you to the point where you felt like you had to do it? I grew up witnessing the suffering of my people, but in the past nine months, the oppression, the killings, and the repression got worse. People were protesting. So three months before Rio, when the Ethiopian Athletics Federation told me that I was selected to go to Rio and participate in the Olympics, 
that's when I made a decision that I need to make a stand and be a voice for my people. As the killings were happening, I was preparing uh, and planning and training to go to Rio. But because of all the suffering, all the things that were happening around me, my legs were running, but my mind was preoccupied by all that is happening around me. I also feared for my life as I was training because I was helping students who were dismissed from university or who were in hiding because they protested and the government was looking for them. And I knew that some people in the government knew this and I feared that someone could just ambush and come out of a hideout and kill me as I was running and training in the wilderness. To give you just another example of what pushed me to those limits, and for example, when people come and visit my house and they knock on the door, I go to the upper uh, level and look out to make sure who it is because I don't know who is coming. They could just be coming to get me. So I was having these fears as I was training, and this is when I decided that I don't want to continue to live like that, and I needed to make a stand. You mentioned that you helped students and protesters. In what way were you helping them? So for those who are in jail, I sent them clothes, food, for people who don't have families to come and visit them. But for those on the street who really don't have anywhere to go, there were times that I gave them money and other things, and there were times that I have to give them my own shoes to people who did not have one. So there are different things that I did uh, to help people who needed, and I was in a position to do that because I have a good life. Did you have any idea that it would make such an international impact? I'm sure you knew it would be big news back home, but did you have any idea that when you made that gesture, it would become news around the world? I knew that people, uh, maybe as many as billions, were watching because some people watch because their countries are represented. Some people watch because uh, others that they know are represented. So I knew a lot of people would be watching this, but I just didn't expect the story to travel this far and make the wave that it did. Mm. Yeah, you, you've educated the world about the Oromo people. I think most people did not know that there was even this issue in Ethiopia, even though it's been some of the biggest struggle in months. So you've been not just an athlete, but a teacher. I was wondering if you were aware of how you've educated so many people about just the reality of life in Ethiopia. I'm very happy by the response because I know that the government of Ethiopia is also not happy with the publicity that it generated about the abuses that are happening in Ethiopia. So I'm very happy. When you made the gesture, were you conscious in your mind of the history of people who have used the Olympics for protest, people like Tommy Smith and John Carlos who raised their fists in 1968? Okay. I wasn't aware of it until afterward, and someone posted a photo of me next to theirs, and they made a collage. Mine on the left says 2016, and theirs on the right says 1968. And uh, I, I found out and I learned a little bit about them, and I'm, I'm happy to be mentioned along with them. Now, I know you mentioned after the race that you feared for your own life and the life of your family back home. Do you still have those fears right now. Hey, Naga Matikya Nanchaka Sudan and Kaba. 
I don't feel any fear for my personal safety. I'm in a country where freedoms are protected and I have the right to protest and say, well, I believe. So I don't have any fears for myself. But the fear for the safety of my family is very much on my mind because they remain in Ethiopia and uh, anything could happen to them. So I do have those fears, but for my own, I don't have those fears at the moment. Are you able to be in contact with your family in Ethiopia? And what are they saying to you right now? Uh, I am in regular contact with them and I got, I talked to them this morning and they are, uh, thanks to God, so far safe and uh, they are doing great. Do you, do you think because your gesture got so much publicity that that can serve to also protect your family because it makes them too high profile for the government to go after? Hey, Yes, that's absolutely right. And and I've, I've been thinking about that a lot because if my name was not known and the story was not covered, my family would have disappeared without trace by now. And there are people that have been in that position bro, before that I know. So where are you currently looking for asylum? And if you get asylum, will that also allow for your family to leave Ethiopia to join you? Uh, I'm not planning to seek asylum anywhere at the moment, and I've never dreamed of uh, seeking asylum anywhere. For now, the U.S. government has given me a visa that allows me to continue to pursue my dream, which is running. But I haven't had... Uh, an opportunity to think about what I want to do about my family. But my dream is to go back and live with them uh, in a better country. I mean, you're one of the greatest runners in the world. How difficult is it to train and keep up that pace, given all of the political issues swirling around your family and your home? It is very tough. And looking back now, when I was training, my legs were in functioning, my, my brain not so much, and they were not in sync. I know that if my mind and my legs were in sync, I know that I could have bested that record and I could have done better, but that did not happen. I want to continue to push myself hard and to get better and also uh, use this opportunity that was created to continue to speak out. And, and that helps in a sense that I can get some of it off my chest. Now, we are right now in an area that has one of the largest uh, Ethiopian immigrant populations in the United States. What message do you have for the Ethiopian community here in the United States about what you did and about why it's important for um, you you all to come together? I'm aware that the Ethiopian community in this area, and generally the Ethiopian diaspora, has been protesting to raise awareness and, and expose the abuses that are being meted out to people in Ethiopia. And I ask them to continue to raise those concerns and be a voice for the people inside the country, continue their advocacy. I also want to tell them that there are people who are wounded and cannot get uh, treatment because they can't afford it. And there are others who are displaced and they don't have anywhere to go and they are in a great need. 
in, in this country they have the, the rights and the freedom and the opportunities to work and earn a living. And I hope that they will start thinking about how they can reach out and help those who are in need financially and also most importantly those who need medical uh, treatment. I would love to know like, who are your athletic and or political heroes? Like who has inspired you to both be a world-class athlete and be someone who has spoken out about politics? My athletic hero is the great Abba Bikila who ran barefoot in Rome and opened these opportunities up for people like me to be here. But he was our light, and, and he shone a bright light on Ethiopia that is not as advanced in Ethiopia that was cut from so much so that he didn't even have a proper uh, running gear. Uh, he's my athletic hero and an inspiration. In the late afternoon of September 10th in Piazza Campidoglio, a new chapter in the history of the marathon is written. His name is on every lip. A magnificent effort, 2 hours, 15 minutes, 16.2 seconds. The Emperor will surely promote him for this. From this day on, the name of Abebe Bikila will rank alongside those of Nurmi and Zatunik. I know that if Abebe Bikila did not win and make that history, and put Ethiopians among the elite runners and uh, inspire the country, uh, I know that I may not be in a position to be a voice for my people and in, in share the concerns and the grievances people have with the uh, media and the international community. Right now, there are a lot of NFL players who are protesting against racism. And this is a big story in the United States. So my first question is, are you aware that this is happening in this country right now? A lot of athletes protesting? I heard about it only after I got to the United States. I, I'm not uh, aware of it, and I don't know the context and the background of it. But from what I understand, it, they are asking for equality and in, in, in justice and, and certain rights. Everybody wants this basic human rights or the respect of this right, and everybody wants to be equal. And if they have grievances that they want to share and appreciate the fact that they can share that without any fear and their rights are protected to do that. Do you feel like you're in a, a, a kinship or a community with athletes throughout the world who use sports as a place to speak out against injustice? Yes, I think there is something that uh, brings us together as a, a community because just if you take my example and we are asking for equal rights and the protection of our rights in Ethiopia and likewise, these athletes, uh, the ones at least that I'm aware of, are also asking for the same rights and in that that we are all asking for equality and for peace and, and, and justice, I think that makes us... Uh, a community. Mm. Last question. What would you say to anybody who says that athletes like yourself, like Colin Kaepernick in the NFL should be seen and not heard, that you should just play sports, just be quiet and play? I could eat and live and count the days and make money and be rich. But if I don't have freedom, those things don't mean much. 
If I or these people did not speak up for their rights and for the rights of their people, who is going to speak up for their rights and voice those concerns that they have as a member of this society? Who is also going to speak up for their people? Thank you so much for your time. Galatomi gudda wa do kan ukte rakina ko unda jina fana irmate naf gabaso bjirtut. Thank you so much for coming all the way down here and, and interviewing me, hearing my story, and for helping me tell this story. It's not just me. All oppressed people in Ethiopia will be grateful that you stood on the right side of history and was able to tell this story on their behalf. It's an honor. Thank you. I need to ask him if he's heard any of the, the songs, the tribute songs. Have you heard any of the songs? I heard some of the songs and, and it encouraged me, it, it gave me a boost. Because uh, it's not only me, but it's, the songs are also uh, telling the people in Ethiopia who don't have the voice that they should continue to fight, they should continue to praise for their right, they should continue to demand their right. So I, I'm, I'm very much encouraged. Uh, by the gesture and I'm grateful for the people who were able to uh, do that. What's the best one? Which one should we use during this interview? It is very hard for me to say because they all love me and all I love them just as much. If I say one is better of the, over the other, uh, I don't want to be in that position, but I want you to take a listen, pick the one you really like, and I would like whichever, the, whichever one you pick. Thank you so much, Fiisa Lilesa, and thank you so much to Mohamed Ademo for providing translation. And now I've got two sets of choice words. This has been such a swirling week of athletic struggle that I've got words for both all of the people who protested this past Sunday at NFL stadiums as the anthem played, and I've got words for everybody out there who says about Colin Kaepernick's protest against police violence that they agree with the cause, but just don't agree with the methods that he is using. So first, let's talk about last Sunday in the NFL, where a small group of players risked their careers, their endorsements, and their livelihoods, and they did so through the simple act of refusal. They refused to be a prop for the cameras. They refused to swallow their concerns about racism and police violence in order to please the needs of their employers. They refused to be intimidated by sports radio talkers bashing their character or an online army of shameless thugs threatening their lives with the casual click of somebody ordering a book off of Amazon. They stood in the proudest tradition of athletes who use their platform for social change, and they have already felt a backlash that almost note for note would ring familiar to anyone acquainted with what that last generation had to endure. Before naming the players who chose to stand against the current, it is worth setting the stage. Last Sunday was less a current than a red, white, and blue tsunami. 
This was the opening day of the NFL season by an exponential degree, the most popular sports league in the United States. And it was September 11th, 2016, the 15th anniversary of the horrific attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Those assaults killed thousands of innocent people. They also launched an unprecedented attack on civil liberties, the scapegoating of an entire religion, and an illegal war in Iraq that continues to produce an unfathomable body count. The leader of these atrocities, George W. Bush, should have had to answer for his actions. Instead, there he was on Sunday in Arlington, Texas, tossing the coin for the nationally televised game between the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants. The Cowboys were not alone in bringing out the big guns. President Obama spoke over the Jumbotron in Seattle, and Vice President Joe Biden was live in Philadelphia. Dick Cheney was at an undisclosed location. But every stadium, though, speaking of big guns, had troops march onto the field with flags roughly the size of Rhode Island. Warplanes flew overhead. Even bald eagles, actual, real-life bald eagles, were set free to soar for the cameras. Like those majestic eagles, the NFL has ascended to new heights these last 15 years by pinning the image of their league to our permanent state of war. The Pentagon has made sure that this has been a mutually beneficial relationship, tying military recruitment, staged salute the troops events, and a hyper-militarized form of patriotism to the NFL's brand. Journalist Sean Scott broke this down in a masterful excavation last week on Sports Illustrated's website in an article titled, How the NFL Sells and Profits from the Inextricable Link Between Football and War. Subtle as a blowtorch and well worth the read. But in other words, nothing that happened Sunday with its big budget patriotic pageantry should have surprised anybody. It was business as usual. The true shock and awe was the presence of a small group of players who took that moment instead to express dissent. To be clear, these were not gestures against war or the national security state. They were acts of solidarity with 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick's anthem demonstrations against police violence. They were protests aimed at stating the simple idea that there is a gap between the values that the flag claims to represent and the deadly realities of racism. They were also, whether intentional or not, declarations that they would not be intimidated by the backlash felt by Kaepernick or Broncos linebacker Brandon Marshall, who took a knee on Thursday and promptly lost an endorsement deal. As the Star-Spangled Banner played around the country, two players on the New England Patriots, Martellus Bennett and Devin McCourty, and three players on the Tennessee Titans, Jarrell Casey, Wesley Woodyard, and Jason McCourty, and Marcus Peters of the Kansas City Chiefs, raised their fists during or immediately after the anthem. In addition, four players on the Miami Dolphins, Kenny Stills, Michael Thomas, Arian Foster, and Jelani Jenkins, took a knee during the anthem. The Dolphins' gesture was all the more dramatic because it took place across the field from the Seattle Seahawks who linked arms in a gesture of team unity and solidarity after efforts to make some sort of statement about police brutality were snuffed out. Because according to the NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, the Seahawks originally planned to kneel together, hand over their hearts, but some players close with the military objected. Never mind that these protests have had nothing to do with the military. This mere perception was enough to suppress a small group of proudly outspoken Seahawks players who wanted to show Kaepernick that they were on his side. This endless howl 
that any action on Sunday should be interpreted as being, quote, against the troops and disrespectful to the memory of 9-11, no matter the actual words of troops or 9-11 families, stretched from a sector of the Seahawks locker room to anonymous Twitter bigots to celebrities Rob Lowe and Kate Upton. It's an absurd argument meant to derail and delegitimize the actual issue that's trying to be raised, the extrajudicial killings of black people. The pressure to stay in line was strong enough to compel a group of political players in Seattle to stand in line. But the capitulation of the Seahawks was overshadowed by these other gestures that not only defy the political agenda of the league, but also its top-down corporate structure. They are gestures that stand as a rebuke to those in the NFL audience that cheer for black bodies on the field, but rage against black voices. Jay Busby at Yahoo Sports called what is happening a, quote, quiet insurrection, end quote. It is an apt description, but this is an insurrection we can only see if we get beyond the noise. And now number two, this is the second piece of choice words, and it's for everybody who says that they agree with Colin Kaepernick's cause against police violence, but gosh darn it, they just don't like the methods. Look, the most common response to Colin Kaepernick's anthem protest against police violence in the corridors of the sports world has been exactly that. I support his goal, but not his methods. This has been the line from NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell to Hall of Fame receiver Jerry Rice to quarterbacks Drew Brees and Russell Wilson. It's a perspective that has extended to liberal commentators, encapsulated in cringeworthy fashion by Atlantic columnist Peter Beinert, who wrote a piece on September 1st titled How Colin Kaepernick's Protest Misfired. Yes, September 1st. Mere days after Kaepernick went public with his stand and amid a whirlwind of coverage, Beinert was there to preemptively judge it a failure because openly protesting the flag, quote, opens him up to charges of disrespect, end quote. Beinert bends over backwards to say that while he believes police violence and racism to be bad things, quote, tactically, there is a better way, end quote. One wonders if we'll see a mea culpa from Beinert and many others, because as the NFL season begins, Kaepernick is looking like a tactical maestro. Not only did his team, the San Francisco 49ers, keep him on the roster when many predicted he would be cut, but the team pledged $1 million to organizations dedicated to, quote, the cause of improving racial and economic inequality and fostering communication and collaboration between law enforcement and the communities they serve here in the Bay Area, end quote. What Goodell, Jerry Rice, and Peter Beinert have in common is that they are 2016 textbook examples of Martin Luther King Jr.'s searing description of the white moderate in Letter from a Birmingham Jail when he wrote, quote, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season, end quote. The season is clearly now. 
Kaepernick's former college teammate, Broncos linebacker Brandon Marshall, took a knee on national television on Thursday night in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick. And then Marshall also pledged money to a variety of charities. The linebackers now joined volleyball players, soccer players, scores of veterans in the stands, and fellow football players, particularly high school football players, who are hearing the anthem, thinking about police violence, and taking a knee. Then there are the Seattle Seahawks. The entire team performed a team-wide protest on Sunday that, in the words of receiver Doug Baldwin, was aimed to, quote, bring people together. Our team will honor the country and flag in a pregame demonstration of unity, end quote. Look, fighting police violence is not a team-building exercise, and as everybody saw on Sunday, what the Seattle Seahawks basically accomplished was the goal of a team-building exercise. All the Seahawks accomplished was muddying Kaepernick's foundational message that we have, quote, bodies in the street and police are getting away with murder, end quote. Yet while we should be wary as more and more players and teams rush to say, me too, it is a sign that Kaepernick is winning. Maybe others will consciously or unconsciously blur the central motivation of Kaepernick's protest, but that always happens when people realize that you are walking with the wind. It is best to celebrate that people are rushing to Kaepernick's side while also fighting to amplify the actual message, which is not to honor the country, but to challenge the country to resist police violence and extrajudicial killings. Some will continue to bash these methods. Others will co-opt and commodify. But Kaepernick is giving us a textbook example of what Howard Zinn said, which is especially apt this presidential season. What matters most is not who is sitting in the White House, but who is sitting in. In this case, it's kneeling, not sitting, and it has been strikingly effective. And now we've got the Just Stand Up Award. My goodness, such a panoply of people we could have chosen from. But this week, I'm going to give it to Massachusetts high school football player Mike Opong. Mike Opong is a junior at Doherty High School in Worcester, Mass., where he plays quarterback and defensive back for the football team. Before the team's first game in the season, Opong took a knee during the national anthem, one of many high school players across the country who did so this past weekend. After the game, Opong said he was being suspended by the principal for one game because of his actions. Well, guess what? The Worcester school system issued a statement saying that Opong was not suspended after there was an outpouring of social media protest to someone in high school exercising critical thought and being punished for their troubles. So just stand up to Mike Opong because he showed that if you stand strong and stand in the light, you will win because the forces of injustice, they love nothing more than the corners of darkness. They thrive in shadows. We thrive in light. Michael Pong shows that. Faisa Lalesa shows that. Colin Kaepernick shows that. And everybody who's standing up right now at that intersection of sports and politics is showing that. So, yo, thanks to everybody for this week. Thank you, uh, Mohamed Ademo. Thank you, Dan Bloom, my producer. Thank you, Faisa Lalesa, of course. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Edge of Sports. You can reach me, Dave Zirin, at Edge of Sports at Slate.com. You can call us to our hotline. We get tons of calls now every week. We'll take it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Call us at 401-426-EDGE. That's 401-426-3343. And this week, answer this question. I'm throwing this out here right now. Do you think 9-11 is an inappropriate day to have a demonstration? 
Do you think 9-11 is an inappropriate day to actually exercise the freedoms enshrined in the Bill of Rights and hundreds of years of struggle in this country? I want to know what you think. Call us. 401-426-3343, 401-426-3343-401-426-EDGE. For everybody out there, thank you so much for listening. You can listen to back shows at edgeofsportspodcast.com. Thank you for making the interview with Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf the most listened to show we've done yet. We are out of here. Peace. I could eat and live and count the days, make money and be rich. But if I don't have freedom, those things don't mean much.